Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about the uh, not guilty verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse that was announced this week. And uh, I'm going to get into a little bit of kind of the timeline of what went on and and all the things that went on. But I sometimes people at New City get confused. People who visit New City get confused because they're like, wait, but um, what's, where's the theology of this? Like, we're just talking about current events. Where's the theology of it? Um, of course, my response to that is like, if we believe that God is alive, then God is doing stuff in current events and we have to call it out. Uh, uh, that's that's the job of a of, of Christian is to recognize where the Holy Spirit is moving. So the big idea that I want to explore today is at the root of our nationalistic idolatry is fear. But true security comes from the liberation of God. Again, at the root of our nationalistic idolatry, I'm talking to Americans mostly. <laughs> I know that there are folks who uh, join into New City from other countries, and I'm very curious to hear what your experience is like and how this resonates or not. But uh, America's got some stuff that we need to tidy up. So <laughs> I'm just talking about the national idolatry of fear. National, the nationalistic idolatry that we have in America is rooted in fear, but true security comes from the liberation of God. That's the theology that we'll be exploring today. Um, by the way, I should also say in this preface that, um, like I said in the beginning of the worship service, there's an event going on downstairs. Um, I had to come in and record this event after the verdict came out for the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial. And so um, some scheduling things <laughs> happened. Um, that So I apologize for any background noise. And secondly, I just want to name that we're talking about some pretty serious things and um, everyone at New City has different experiences with uh, racialized tension, racialized violence and abuse, hegemony and all those things. So um, if at any time you're feeling like some big emotions, uh, can we just agree that it's totally fine if you need to like get up and pace or um, just take a breather and look outside for a little bit, get some water. Water is always a good idea. <laughs> like even if you're in a watch party, I want you to feel comfortable kind of moving in a way that your body would find helpful uh, in ways that also are respectful of the bodies around you. So um, yeah, let's just agree that that is all good. So um, I'm about to name some things that I just got from some research. Uh, these are the articles that I reference uh, that um, the facts from this sermon come from. I tried to stick with the Associated Press because a lot of um, people who analyze these types of things consider the Associated Press to be um, uh, both high journalistic standards without having too much um, ideological interpretation, for better or for worse, right? Um, and so, yeah, feel free to screenshot this uh, page. And then uh, if you want to research more on your own or if you want to fact check me, let me know. And of course, always, 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 if you have anything else that you would like to add to this conversation about Kyle Rittenhouse, then please put that in Circle, which is the social platform of New City. You can always access Circle by going to our website and then in the bottom right, there's that 
blue little uh, speech bubble that uh, helps you get to circle. Something that I found out while we were navigating the George Floyd uprisings, which, by the way, happened walking distance away from where this recording has happened right now, um, is that it's helpful to review a timeline of how things happen. A A review kind of how did we get to this point so far? So if um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to quick talk through a quick timeline of, of how we got here. Right. So on August 23rd in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, police officers responded to a reported domestic disturbance. Uh, and what that resulted in was the shooting of uh, police officers shooting Jacob Blake. They shot him um, seven times, four times in the back, three times in the side in front of his children. Uh, Blake is a black man and he was shot by police officers who were white. Uh, Bystander videos capture the shooting and Blake was left paralyzed. Uh, Jacob Blake is still alive, though. Neighbors in Kenosha County started marching to the public safety building where they were met with officers who were wearing riot gear. So uh, some of the folk, you might remember that um, uh, New City Church is a United Methodist Church, and there is actually another church that's uh, very um, uh, aligned with New City's values called Zao, Milwaukee, and Zao was very present during those marches. And so uh, we prayed for Zao, and, and kind of in a faith solidarity way, we recognize that what we experience in the uprisings and what they're experiencing in Kenosha are um, very related to each other. So uh, uh, that was August 23rd. On August 26th, 2020, a cell phone video caught a young man, uh, a possible vigilante holding a rifle. Police in Illinois announced that that is um, Kyle Rittenhouse of Antioch, which is about 15 minutes away, and uh, that they um, are seeking to arrest. On September 1, Trump visited Kenosha and uh and uh blamed the domestic terror for violence referring to uh the people who were protesting the shooting of jacob blake he makes no mention of blake's shooting by the police he didn't mention that at all and he called the violent protests anti-american on september 24th a 17 year old citizen oh (laughs) okay sorry i need to give a little bit of context to this quote so on september 24th um, uh, Rittenhouse's legal defense started making some um, coming out in social media about how they're defending this case. And this, I think, is really important in identifying the, do you remember what I said in the beginning? The nationalistic idolatry. The nationalistic idolatry. These are some of the things that were posted on social media um, and in interviews by the legal counsel of Kyle Rittenhouse. A 17-year-old citizen is being sacrificed by politicians, but it's not Kyle Rittenhouse thereafter. Their endgame is to strip away the constitutional right of all citizens to defend our communities. In another place, it says, Kyle Rittenhouse will go down in history. I'm sorry. Kyle Rittenhouse will go down in American history alongside that brave unknown patriot who fired the shot heard around the world. Uh, that is by lead attorney John Pierce. He wrote that in a tweet uh, that he later deleted. And he also said, uh, a second American revolution against tyranny has begun. 
On a TV appearance, they doubled down on this hero theme, describing Kenosha as a war zone and the young shooter as an American patriot and a shining symbol of the American fighting spirit. This is the sacred ground in Kenosha where a 17-year-old child became a Minuteman and said, not on my watch, Pierce tweeted above a photo of the city where rioters burned and looted just days before. So here we see the the rise of the thing that always happens, which is like a, a greater um, theology and folklore of what's going on. And, and the reason why we do that, and by the way, this happens like for people pursuing justice as well as for people not pursuing justice. Like we always, as human beings, always try to set current events in the backdrop of, of a larger framework. And the reason why this is important to note is because the the larger framework that they're setting this in is one of 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 nationalism of violence and of um kind of this like patriarchal domination oriented approach to communities that um i think is one of the greatest um idols that america really has to deal with and sometimes in day-to-day life in America, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, It might not be obvious that this is one of the idols of America, but it's when the heat starts to turn up a little bit that we start to hear this kind of like folkloric lionization, sainthood of, uh, of how people align people in current events. And that's when we start to understand idolatry, which, uh, by the way, is frowned upon. In the Bible, idolatry. <laughs> idolatry is simply confusing something that's not God for God. And so when I say the kind of American idolatry of this like militarized white supremacist state, I'm talking about um, confusing the, the white supremacist militarized identity for God as if we need to worship uh, white supremacy, as if we need to sacrifice for white supremacy, as if white supremacy will save us. And clearly, in in these comments, we're seeing <laughs> a narrative of um, this is this is how we will be saved. This is what will ultimately um, be our our, our um, deliverance. That's what idolatry means, and I think that there's a lot of idolatry there. So interestingly. November 2nd, 2020, a Wisconsin court sets Rittenhouse's bail at $2 million, which they fundraised in a snap, uh, mostly by conservative um, uh, moneyed folks who believe in this, uh, uh, the folklore around uh, Minutemen, and this is about liberty, and this is about the right to have arms and all of that. Fast forward to January 5th, 2021. The officer who uh, shot Jacob Blake, Rustin Chesky, uh, who is white, uh, was declined. The prosecutor declines to charge Kenosha officer Rustin Chesky, meaning that they believed that uh, Chesky had reasonable self-defense claim because Jacob Blake said that he had a knife. And on February 3rd, Prosecutors asked for a new arrest warrant after Rittenhouse failed to tell the court that he had changed his address. Um, By the way, uh, Rittenhouse had driven over state lines with a firearm, and uh, there was a a big, um, oh, I'll get get to it in a second, but like the fact that he was a 17-year-old carrying a firearm in itself seems alarming. 
Okay, Ta-da-la. skipping forward to um, more recently, so this month, November 4th, um, uh, the, one of the jur- jurors who were um, being considered for the jury of this trial were dismissed after that juror supposedly made a joke to one of the officers in the court, and that joke went, why did the Kenosha police shoot Jacob Blake seven times? Uh, because they ran out of bullets. That is how prosecutor Thomas Binger uh, explains how that joke went. So that juror was dismissed, just to give you a sense of the climate in in that. Uh, And then on November 5th of this month, hours before closing arguments began, Judge Bruce Schrader Schroeder granted a defense motion to toss out weapons charge. This would have been the charge that, if found guilty, um, uh, would have said that it was wrong for Rittenhouse to have carried a gun as a 17 year old the reason why that was thrown out is because there is law in wisconsin that minors can possess guns as long as they are not short barreled weapons let me just quick dive into that so so kyle rittenhouse legally was able to patrol the streets and in with this long barrel weapon uh, and the, the intent of that law was they wanted to be able to um, give young Wisconsinites the ability to go hunting, whereas short um, short barrel guns are the ones usually associated with crime. Uh, and that law, by the way, also bans uh, ninja stars and nunchucks. So it would have been illegal if Rittenhouse had carried nunchucks, the dangerous Asian weapon, but um, it was not illegal for him to be carrying a long-barreled uh, weapon. Okay, so uh, November 19th, the jury acquits Rittenhouse on all charges. And uh, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight about the response that followed after this. Former President Donald Trump, who at the time of the shooting said it appeared Rittenhouse had been very violently attacked, issued a statement Friday congratulating Rittenhouse on the verdict adding, if that's not self-defense, nothing is. Um, I didn't mention this, but Rittenhouse shot and killed two people and seriously injured a third person. All three of the people whom he shot were white men. And um, I also just want to name that after the verdict, um, one of the, the the parents of one of the victims who had died, um, uh, Karen Bloom and John Huber, said that the outcome sends the unacceptable message that armed civilians can show up in any town, incite violence, and then use the danger that they've created to justify shooting people in the street. So that is a timeline of what happened. Uh, You are caught up now. Uh, Let's just take a deep breath together. Remembering to receive God's love and to send God's love out. Okay. Um, So, like I said, the main uh, takeaway that I want to reiterate here is that um, there is a, a nationalist idolatry in America. And, and, and we see that at the, the base of that is fear. And something that 
we learn about fear for people who are practicing faith, for people who are continuing to pray through emotions, like I always encourage you to do, is that fear convinces you that it is telling you exactly a picture of reality when actually fear is as subjective as any of our emotions. And sometimes when we feel scared about something, it doesn't mean that that thing is actually justifying the amount of response that we have because that fear emotion isn't here to tell you facts. That fear is simply here to get you to a safe plot, to a safe spot. In the backdrop of a racist society, however, and in the backdrop of, of hundreds of years of media portrayal and policy that continually paints black men as intrinsically violent, intrinsically dangerous, the fear response that kicks in in, in the fear response that kicks in against the mob that is trying to protect black lives is saying like, I'm not safe if there is a black person around or if people are trying to defend black lives. That's what the fear response says. And through prayer and, and through reflection, welcoming prayer, we come to learn that that fear response may actually be rooted in the empire. And however well-intentioned it is, however much it's trying to look out for us, it may in fact be creating a world that looks like the opposite of what Jesus wanted to create. And that's what makes it idolatry. <laughs> the things that like when we invest in them turn into the kingdom of God, which is like liberation and justice and, and connectedness and neighborness and wholeness, that, 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 that tends to be what we call righteousness. And when we invest in things or use rhetoric or uh, donate $2 million to something that makes the world look a little bit more like the empire of oppression, fear, and domination, that's uh, what we call idolatry. Yeah. Righteousness, idolatry. Um, and so I, th and the reason why I think that Proverbs speaks particularly to this is like we've said earlier on in the sermon series, there is a nature of evil that must be named in order for us to be wise. And that nature of evil is that evil destroys itself. Evil destroys itself. So it's not just like one side against another side. It's like whoever is... Um, creating a flourishing world that results in more life tends to be the people that Jesus stands with. And whoever is creating a, a world where people are trapped in death and suffering and oppression tends to be what Jesus opposes. And so we use the word evil as shorthand for something that destroys itself, like a snake eating itself. That's a, an ancient image in many, many cultures, ancient Chinese culture, ancient Greece Greek culture, ancient um, in uh, indigenous tribes around the world, a snake eating itself. Um, and w the snake that I see eating itself is there is this fear that says, but I need my right to be able to protect against a mob. And that fear is the very same fear that over invests in a police force at the expense of things that make community safer like housing and, and schools and healthcare um it over invests in a police force that is so unchecked in power that that when violence happens that is inappropriate in a police force communities feel like they have no other recourse but to mobilize because it doesn't seem like there's any accountability for that police force and so do you see, 
Do you see the snake eating itself here where it's like, well, we need to invest in the police force and we need to give power to the police force. But now the police force is beyond accountability. And so now there's like a rising of folks that are sparking the very fear that made us want to invest in the police force. And that's why we need guns. The snake is eating itself. And I think that the logic of the gospel, and when I talk about the gospel, I simply mean the good news of God, the liberation of God, is that we become safer when we look out for each other. And the only way to truly do that is to center marginalized voices. We see this in the life and witness of Jesus all over the place. Look at Jesus. Where does Jesus's feet bring him? To the outskirts of town where someone who no one else could deal with uh, was banished. To a well to talk to a woman that he's not supposed to talk to. Jesus is continually centering marginalized voices. And when we center marginalized voices, we become a little bit more like Jesus. And ultimately, what we learn from centering marginalized voices is that God wants all of us to be free. And, uh, and God especially desires that for the people who are most oppressed. That's why God speaks uniquely through people who are marginalized. And so uh, we see this mechanism of centering mar- marginalized voices. And, and we remember that Jesus also gives us or offers us something that I haven't heard really compellingly from any of the other organizers that I am in solidarity and community with, which is that grace is surrounding us and empowering us that, that we center marginalized voices, um, not so that we can participate in social justice purity culture where we continually cancel each other, but rather that grace continues to empower us to be in deeper and more beloved community together. And of course we do have conflict in beloved community because we cannot be beloved without sharing conflict. But ultimately, like, God is moving us closer and closer together in more and more bonded, beloved community. Uh, Ultimately, God knows that none of us are free until all of us are free. And so God is trying to stitch together a community for all of us to be free. And in the midst of the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, I think it's really powerful that we as New City Church are gathering as a community, as, the, as the, a microcosm of, of an experimentation in beloved community, as a, as, a, as a little glimpse of what God might desire for the city of Minneapolis and also for the whole country and for the whole world that we can get together and hold each other accountable and, and practice um, uh, liberative anti-racism while also grounding that in, in a beloved, gracious, bonded community uh, that centers marginalized voices. That says, like, um, the people who are most brutalized historically and currently get to start, stop, and steer the conversation, and that's how we're going to get to the kingdom of God. 